This is the podcast for March 16th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside the Illinois GOP primary jihad, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. It's a jihad. We are having a primary next Tuesday. We are, in so, Illinois, and it Illinois. actually matters, which is really weird. And it's really weird. It never matters, but it does this time. If you, you can't, Democrats can't vote in the GOP primary. No, so, no. I mean, but this, the is way that, be, this is going to be the downstaters who are the tea, tea partiers yep. and the suburban Chicago well, Rockefeller Republicans. Y- well, there, right? there are, yeah, but <laughs> um, there are plenty of... I understand the – and this is where it gets a little – I think it gets interesting. The the general disgust with the Republican field, including Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe will manifest itself most clearly in and around Chicago mm-hmm. because a rich person in DuPage County uh, or even someone who's retired and on a very good income from their retirement income and plays golf all day long – will go to the Tea Party meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and will wear their tricorder hats and bitch about taxes and about immigrants and about Negroes and about Kenyans. That's there. That really is. That's in the collar counties. They're, those people are out there. And the wealthy people in Chicago, remember the, the, the center of the Democratic Party universe is Chicago now. Um, the mayor is the former chief of staff, the former chief of well, staff. Well, that's where Obama for America's headquarters are. Yeah. So, Obama, yes. and, uh, he, and so since that is true and since Obama spent much of his political career hobnobbing with very powerful rich people in Chicago and since p- rich people in Chicago tend to run in packs, mm-hmm. there, uh, there might be um, a great deal of financial support for Mitt Romney among the landed gentry in and around Chicago, but they don't love him. Yeah. And Barack Obama was very good for this state, and there's a certain sense of pride in him. So I'm not sure all the rich guys in ugly pants are going to leave the golf course to go vote for anybody during the primary. And that leaves – and if their numbers are depressed just because, hey, the market's up, Mm-hmm. Obama's not doing such a bad job. He's from Chicago. I met him 19 times. I, me, and, me and him and Jamie Dimon played three three holes of golf together. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of familiarity yeah. might just drive down turnout among Mitt Romney voters. voters yes, Rom- yes, rich Romney voters, yeah. just enough to let the Tea Partiers manifest themselves and give it to Santorum. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, and go read the post. It's over at driftglass.blogspot.com. But just it remember that Illinois' reaction when Jack Ryan, uh, his candidacy imploded and they had to go grab somebody to shove in front of a camera who could run against Obama for the Senate. They picked Alan Keyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Keyes and we've, fucking- you know, honestly, uh-huh. honestly, you think you think that all of our discussion about Michael Steele. Yeah. And picking the black guy to prove you're not racist. Oh. I mean, you have no idea. Talk about an unqualified person and, and to he, run and, for anything. And he got slaughtered. I mean, yeah. Alan well, Keyes is crazy. Yeah. And and he's the guy who kicked his gay daughter essentially to the curb because he wanted to be and he's just nuts. He's just yeah. a he's just a vicious, crazy, hanging on by his fingernails um Republican. 
crazy ass conservative black Republican. And that's who, and he didn't even live here. He lived, I think, in Maryland or something. But they imported him just to run against Barack Obama. And my point being, that's what the GOP in Illinois looks like when they are caught with their pants down. When they're caught completely unawares, they just grab for the nearest thing that will comfort them. And although Alan Keyes got killed in the primary or in the general election, remember that he did get like 30 percent of the vote. And those 30 percent of those people ain't going to vote for Mitt Romney. Well, no. And but they they are going to vote for Rick Santorum. Yep. And the, and the people who voted for Barack Obama, uh, who, who might have switched parties or independents mm-hmm. or, or whatever, are the very people who might not feel real enthusiastic about going out you know, on a, on a beautiful day, there's so many other fun things to do and voting for somebody they really don't like and really don't trust. And so I would, I, I, I know it's probably not going to be the case because I don't have all the numbers that people like David Axelrod have, but I'm guessing that Illinois is going to go either for Santorum or really close for Santorum if Gingrich doesn't sort of mix it up. But Romney's not going to get more than a third of the vote here. Well, and people in Illinois, I think, are pretty much aware, much more aware than perhaps Mississippi voters or certainly Georgia voters mm-hmm. in Newt Gingrich's history. Oh, yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, they, they remember longer than five minutes ago in that and regard. And once, so. once you get south of Bloomington Normal, oh, yeah, it's, you're in the south, baby. You're in the south, and people <laughs> hate south. Obama, and they hate him just as much because he's a Chicagoan right. as they do that because he's black, because downstate oh, yeah. hates Chicago. So yeah. it's, it's, you got to understand – that that line of transition yep. when you when you go to the collar counties yeah you're going to see a lot of nice houses but there's a lot of teabaggers out there and you go south of roughly Bloomington normal and you're in the south and not mm-hmm. that there aren't plenty of lovely liberal people down there down here I should say but um it's the south and mm-hmm. you got to understand that to understand Illinois politics anyway anyway that's, that's just that. a brief and now we have three wonderful letters we're going to go right to it Let's because roll, baby. when we get three letters that are within 12 days or 15 days and they're all on sort of the same topic <laughs> it's a sign we're, take, we need we're to, taking your hint yes we're taking your hint that we need to talk about how to talk to people about politics yeah and so we're going to read these three letters and and do it rather quickly and then talk about it how do we talk to people about politics so yeah. the first letter why don't you read the first letter it's from uh we're just going to use first initial b all right and uh letter from b says from b says Hello. I've been kind of off my game for a bit. It's been work-related. This newish thing with Limbaugh has really placed an uncomfortable load on my nuts in that he is a fucking vile human being. Yet, he is carried through life by another band of human beings that only wish they could say the same things, but they are hindered by a lack of insane funding to spew their message. Have you comprehended the fact that there is an army of vile humans bent on doing harm with their words? Limbaugh is just a mouthpiece with funding. If he were removed from the airwaves, the people who fund him would be lack, would lack an avenue to vent and might do other horrible things just to get the wretched things that they feel into the real world. I'm in a dark place right now. Honestly, I'm not afraid. I'd be the first willingly to place my body in front of their hatred, but seriously, their hatred is, in reality, just stupidity. No one wants to go into the void for someone else's lame-ass stupidity. Amen to that. Is there a way forward? Is there a charity that will offer these vile people a vent that their lifetimes are not spent hurting other people? 
or are we meant to suffer them doing harm publicly for their entire lives? Racist for their entire lives, sexist for their entire lives, fundamentalist for their entire lives. They are figuratively terminally vile. Perhaps there is some sort of hospice care for vile beings that we could contain them in, allowing the world to carry on with the good works of science and empathy. We separate radioactive matter from regular matter. Maybe the same can be done for these wretched people. Like I said, I'm in a dark place, kind of feeling like there's nothing that can be done except for placing bodies in front of the emotionless bulldozers. End of letter. And I don't know if we want to answer these one by one or sort of have a conversation about all of them, but one of the things I wrote back to B and said was, you never have to apologize for being in a dark place. No. Both of us are writers and one of us is Irish. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. being in a dark place is something Driftglass uh, – I, th- I think you have a corner of our bedroom that you yeah. reserve. For- this is my dark area. I'm over here now. <laughs> Don't come in this area now. This is darkness over here. You know, and there's a lot, lot of stuff. You know, it, it's uh, it's being driving me into a dark place is a function of so many different things that have nothing to do with politics. Sometimes it's the weather. Sometimes it's the duration of a gray sky. Sometimes it's contemplating the fact that I have um, in. in and this is getting back to his saying it's work-related. I have, um, in terms of career advancement, fallen a great distance in the last three years for reasons that I still can't quite comprehend and that are out of my control. And that makes me very upset sometimes. And sometimes <clears throat> those things sort of all align themselves on a really bad day. Mm-hmm. And boom, just, just like a linear accelerator, man, there's just one magnetic – ring after another just shooting those particles faster and faster and faster until it just feels like the end of the world but it's not um and what i said to him too was one of the things that's that's interested me a lot about this limbaugh thing (laughs) as it continues is that there has been a uh it's not just a shit storm there is really a transformation going on Mm -hmm. from twitter and from facebook and from women that we're not going to live in this kind of world. Yep. It's not just, oh my God, Rush Limbaugh said something outrageous, let's react to it. It's, I, ha- I may not have the power to, to stop Limbaugh from saying the things that he's saying, but I'll be damned if I'm going to fund it. Mm-hmm. And making that decision and recognizing yes this is good you know i read a blog post to you this week that made me cry about yeah. how endless this war is going to be that this war on women is so well funded and is going to go on forever because it already has they've got money and they they're playing a very long game mm-hmm. and they don't care how long it takes nope if it takes 40 years it's already taken 40 years as far mm-hmm. as they're concerned mm-hmm. so uh you know, and it can make you tired and put you in a dark place. But we have a decision to make. I have a decision to make sitting in this chair in the dining room on Skype mm-hmm. of what what I am willing to support in the society in which I live. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I have control. And recognizing where your onus of control is is really important in <coughs> terms of staying sane through this process, through this political mess we're in right now. Yeah. 
recognizing here's where I have control. I don't have to buy from these companies. Yeah. I don't have to shop here. I don't have to do the – I can make certain choices. And we don't always make perfect choices, and I, I sometimes just, just get a little tired of – Every day finding out there's one more thing I'm not supposed to buy or there's one more thing <laughs> I'm supposed to boycott or there's one more thing, you know, and you just get – that can get exhausting as well. But trying your best to make the choices that will lead to the society in which you want to live. Mm-hmm. And if – and as he said, you know, there will be another voice. If Limbaugh gets kicked off the air, hey, somebody else will prop up. Mm-hmm. I don't have to support that voice either. Well, and remember, there was a time – and I, we should, we'll go on to the next letter, but yeah. – um, Part of what we try to do here, one of the things I never had in my professional life, I was thinking about this the other day, I never had, never, uh, was a mentor. Mm-hmm. And that's part of my, part of the thing that crippled me professionally for in lots of jobs. I could always get the technocrat side of things down. I could understand the software. I could mm-hmm. understand the policy. I could figure that shit out. I, I'm not socially awkward. I'm not, you know, a, a goon in public. Like I, do public speaking and I'm pretty relaxed and comfortable and can handle an audience and listen and talk. However, there's always some little secret thing that only a few people know about. A secret vocabulary, a secret approach. You know, Remember, whenever you go into so-and-so's office, always drop a piece of paper, always bring a piece of candy, always whatever. Just There's all, all that stuff. And if you don't know that secret language of how the world, that particular slice of the world is working, Eventually, you will slam into a brick wall you never knew was there at 60 miles an hour. What we can, I hope, offer to people in a very small way is at least a vocabulary of understanding how this political world works. So it is, it is frustrating. But, but you know, remember, in every fairy tale, especially in Rumpelstiltskin, the power to name something, give something its true name, call something by its true name, has magic powers. And the ability to understand, comprehend, and put into words what is happening to you and why it's happening and, and understand the relationships between groups of people, their political interests, their religious interests, the media, etc., 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 might not shift the world around, but I'm hoping it gives people a little bit more confidence in the ground they're standing on. And that's that's something I think that writers and storytellers and people who are logical and, and good communicators owe it to their communities to do for them, to explain the world around them and why things are the way they are. So I don't know if that helps a lot. Well, yeah, I think it does. And, and let's skip. I'm going to read the letter from Mark next. Okay. All right. And then we'll read the letter from Chris. Cool. Uh, this is a letter from Mark that's very related to what we've just been talking about. (laughs) DG and BG. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a question to my neighborhood list server asking for recommendations for a different auto auto parts store than the one closest to us, AutoZone. I included in my message a link to a list of Rush Limbaugh advertisers and stated that I was going to boycott the chain. I got some useful recommendations in reply. All good. Then last Saturday, I posted a notice that there was a live performance of the Prop 8 trial play starting in 10 to 15 minutes. I included the information that the play was performed by A-list actors, a link to the YouTube page, and a reason that people should watch it. North Carolina has a marriage inequality constitutional amendment vote coming up in May. 
When I checked my email Sunday, a bunch of don't post political messages had been posted, as well as don't post political or religious messages. <laughs> I let my lawyer neighbor read my response, and she advised me not to post it. <laughs> Shucks. Yeah. So I posted an innocuous explanation that my email was a timely educational and cultural opportunity, not political. Mm -hmm. I would have let this go, but the initial pushback poster wouldn't let it go, responding to someone else's post that he was looking out after his neighbors. That did it. I openly questioned on the listserv whether he realized that we have gay neighbors in committed relationships and that this affects them. I included a snippet of the Jefferson quote about the importance of an informed electorate, reminded everyone that my initial post was educational. Eventually, other anti-amendment neighbors started posting their support for me and added other reasons why this vote is local. It's local news. Okay. Finally, I got a personal email from the pushback fellow. I'll bet you did. Uh, uh, Clarifying that his problem was with my rush boycott. (laughs) Because that's... Yeah, and not the Prop 8 trial play post, because all of a sudden there are neighbors. I mean, this is what happened. Finally, a chance to communicate, even if it was privately. I explained that, just like my Prop 8 trial play post... The links and reason for my post was intended to lend context to my auto parts query and not imply that the local auto zone store or employees were somehow deficient. He continues, um, there are lessons here. You can convey a political message as subtext. You can be kind and helpful, at least be able to explain it that way. And it is worthwhile to have a cooler head read your emails as a modern version of uh, counting to ten. Yeah. Well. And uh, thank you very much for writing this to us, Mark. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing, the other advice I would give anyone getting into this kind of public forum thing, because I've done this, is prepare to be shunned. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there are people in this world, A, who want to defend Rush Limbaugh and aren't afraid to do it because they're bullies and they feel they have uh, lots and lots of people on their side. And I found it's extremely telling that he changed the subject as soon as he saw other neighbors were on your side Uh because a bully can't operate when there's a group around you. You know, that's what we're always taught of in with our high school students who are special needs is make sure they have a crew, make sure they have a posse because you, kid by himself gets bullied a kid with four other kids doesn't get bullied yeah and if you've got three other neighbors on your side you're not going to get bullied this way but that oh no i wasn't talking about that i was talking about you're doing this and you're breaking the rules of the list and you're doing you know ah i feel for you buddy but there's i would also draw one other or a couple of other lessons from this a very good letter and I, i i very well put um and that is from a writerly perspective, um, every time you read a really good short story or a really good poem, understand that the writer has probably spent days or weeks beveling every word to get it just right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just come spilling off their tongue or spilling out of their pen. It, it might seem that way, but it doesn't. And a really good writer 
is not going to write to please their audience. Mm-hmm. That, that a writer should not do that. But every paragraph and every sentence is constructed to achieve a particular emotional or plot effect. So the question I always have for the writing groups that I've led is, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Who is your audience? What do you want them to say, do, feel, or think about when your story is over? And then is everything you're saying lined up to do that? Or are you getting, are you dispersing your energies every which way? So if you're constructing an email or even constructing a verbal argument, ask yourself beforehand, what do I want to get out of this exchange? Do I want to provoke this person into, into saying something stupid, which is perfectly legitimate? You know, call them out in public as the rubes that they are. Mm-hmm. Do I want to educate them? Do I want to make them feel empathy for me or for my cause? Do I want to um, show them how smart I am? There's nothing wrong with any of those things, and but the, those are all different emails. Yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah, and, and yeah. you have to and figure posts. out what you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I have thrown away that just personally, I have discarded hundreds of emails yeah. in my life that were me being angry or me being smartass, mm-hmm. and then I realized, oh, that 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 isn't going to get me what I want. What I want is for this person to see things from my point of view or or whatever. So, and the second is <clears throat> one of our. Um, one of our favorite characters on the right is Miss Katie Abrams. Yeah, yeah. And you can look her up online, look her up on on my blog or yours, especially yours, Blue Gal. You really just did a number on this woman. <laughs> but she was a tea partier. This is a little bit of a callback to some other stuff we've talked about in the past. But she was a tea partier who seemed like a very nice lady, a very nice mom, very telegenic, very enthusiastic. But she was one of the people who stood up at, at – um, town hall meetings screaming about she doesn't want her country to become Russia and right. how the, you know just she was she just was a public shouter and now I believe she has a contract with the Heritage Foundation or something or whatever oh no she works for the Koch brothers yeah and and she'll never be without health insurance for the rest of her life yeah. and she was on the yeah. Lawrence O'Donnell show or was interviewed by him I don't know if he yes, had she was she was on and, his show mm-hmm. and she, and he really deconstructed her in a very polite and nice way right in, dressed her down right in front of the entire audience her her problem and if we, if, if there was one large meta problem she had, it's her default view of the universe is there should be a white Christian male in the White House, conservative male in the White House. When that happens, I don't need to think about politics. Yep. Because that's the normal, natural state of things. It is only when that changes that things become political. No. <laughs> the Gulf War, the Iraq War was political, and she just didn't see it that way. That was just normal. Yeah. So she said we're, we were always we're at always war. at war. She said, "Yep." With yep. the least, and I and to- I slept through the Iraq War, and I slept through the Afghanistan War, and I slept through nine eleven. She because because there was a white Christian conservative yep. Republican in the White House, right. and therefore she didn't bother paying the slightest fucking attention to politics until the black Kenyan usurper showed up. In which at which point she all joined. The- Glenn Beck's nine twelve, yeah, instantly, and became an email leader of several groups in Eastern Pennsylvania, and yeah, I mean, and this, but this really is also a callback to the feminism of the of the fifties, sixties, and seventies, which is where you had to you had to do consciousness raising, mm-hmm. you had to mm-hmm. teach people that the personal is political, yeah. you had to teach them, you, had to, you had to, not not in a in a uh, paternalistic way, pardon the pun, but in a very sort a moment of clarity. Yeah. Where you realize, wait a minute, all the unquestioned axioms of the patriarchy, of the white male 
usually conservative patriarchy. All the things they never question are things that offend and affect me and, and, and really cripple me. Yep. And they won't let me talk about them because they just assume that's the natural order of things. And as long as, you know, as the Joker said in Batman, you know, people are okay going along with the plan, even if the plan is horrifying. It's only when weird shit happens that aren't, isn't part of the plan that people freak out. So what liberals do constantly, which is why we get in trouble, which is why people tell us to stop posting these horrible political things and points of view, <laughs> is, is we simply – we're challenging people to, to see the fact that their point of view is just as political as our point of view. They just don't see it that way. They see it as normal, and therefore we are abnormal. Yeah, and I love I love that he on the list serve said there are committed relationships within our neighborhood, uh-huh. gay people who are going to be affected within our neighborhood. This is local. This is personal. This is related to us uh-huh. as a group. And you know, neighborhood watch. Guess what? We have gay couples in our neighborhood watch group who are affected by this. Mm-hmm. Make it personal. We have you know women. 85-year-old women in our church who want their gay granddaughters to get married in the church. Yeah. We have whatever it is, but try to make it, and and that's what's so lovely. I mean, I keep hearkening back to how happy uh, Richard Trumka was when uh, Wisconsin exploded because his website went off the scale. And, you know, the best – Scott Walker was the best – union yeah. organizer you could ever have mm-hmm. and the best feminist consciousness raiser in the world is rush is limbaugh, rush limbaugh. <laughs> and, and let's let's be clear we have we have come a long way but we've also i won't say baby because that would be wrong <laughs> just calls wrong. me baby he does uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um and I, I i lived near the family of the person who came up with that God awful slogan. So that gives you a little background. Oh, you've come a long way, baby. Yeah, I've come. Yeah. I haven't come a long way, and I'm not your baby. Yeah. No, it's well. It's it was an advertising. Executive. One of the neighborhoods I grew up in was was a was a you know was a commuter community yep. Uh, yep. from Chicago. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But what what is important, I think, to realize is that yes, we haven't come a long way, but we've really slid backwards. Yeah. A yeah. lot. I yeah. mean, yeah. you know, I remember watching Maud on television. I didn't particularly yeah. like the show. I, I thought it was a little bit hackneyed in terms of its plot and its characters. It was too predictable. But the idea of a strong feminist person on a network show um, being unapologetically sort of brash and, and clear in her beliefs. And making it, mistakes. I yeah. mean, a lot. You well, know. And, and then, then you can flip over and watch All in the Family. You can watch yeah. the Jeffersons. You can watch anti-war TV on MASH. You could watch single mom or single woman Mary Richards going about her life. The 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 idea that feminazi will be an acceptable term in yeah. a casual conversation again their default position of these people. If you go back and read um, the the Rush Limbaugh tributes from 1994, people not 2004, not yeah. 2011, 1994, yeah. back when they gave Rush Limbaugh a plaque and made him an honor, honorary member of Congress, you had the newly elected female Republican members of Congress bragging that there are no feminazis in their midst. Yeah, that term. Could you imagine someone using that term casually on television in the 70s? No, they would have been. Stripped naked and run out of town on a goddamn rail. Yeah, yeah. Rush Limbaugh almost single-handedly made it acceptable 
to hate the people publicly who these people had been hiding from and hating privately for decades. Because for decades, you had voting rights, you had uh, you had ecology movements, you had feminists, you have gays, all the people these people hate and are terrified of and, and, and cling to their Bibles and mutter into their pillows in terror about. Uh, we're coming for them. We're changing their culture. And Rush Limbaugh rose up out of the swamp and said, I'm going to make it acceptable to call these people dirty names in public. All the hateful little things you say in private, I'm going to – and you know why he was able to do that? Ronald Reagan, yep. Tony Scalia, and Robert Bork repealing the fairness doctrine that almost instantly after Reagan and his two federal – his two pet federal judges killed the, the fairness doctrine, Rush Limbaugh was syndicated nationwide. And of course he found a wide audience. There's a lot of bigots in this country, a lot of hateful, evil, noxious, toxic people, and he gave them a voice. And we have lost a lot of our footing because for a long time we simply could not believe that anybody could actually not want people who love each other to get married, not want women to be treated equally. That just was alien to us because – Well, not want 85-year-old veterans to vote. Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's that's the end of our uh, that's the part I want to get to after our third letter. Yeah. The great simplification, but I'll just tease it and we'll go to our third letter. How's that? And our third letter is from Chris. Do you want to read that? It's a short one. Sure. Letter from Chris. Hello DG and BG. We've recently relocated from your neck of the woods to Denver. Yay. Got people in Colorado. Beautiful state. Love it here, but some of the locals are um nuts. Recently, my seven-year-old daughter mentioned that she didn't think she would vote for Barack Obama. I asked why. She said that her new friend Haley said her dad told her that Barack that Obama took $5 out of her bank account. Now, I can only guess that her dad was trying to make the case that a tax on interest was the same thing as a scary black dude stealing $5 from a child. Who knows? Those people will believe and say anything. My question is how to respond to these kinds of things in a way that won't result in my daughter telling Haley that her dad is a lying dumb fuck on the playground. That's always a tough one, Chris. More generally, how does one raise a child to be honest but respectful of other people's opinions and feelings with those people who give a a flying rat fuck about honesty or respect? Thanks in advance and thanks for all you do, Chris. Yeah, that's, that's the question, isn't it, Chris? It is the question. And, and, and hey, I pay my taxes. Apparently, isn't a good enough answer. No, you know, just it's no. very, very sad. And it is. It's hard to raise kids. It's hard to raise kids to be yeah. respectful of liars. I think you you teach your children to pick their battles. That's that's the first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you you show them by example. Um, I can I can tell you how not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that little suburb that I alluded to that, that my family moved into in the uh, very very late sixties uh, was very white and very segregated, and um, we got a target painted on our back as a family almost immediately. And again, it was it was part of that uh, in a sense not having a mentor. This is what you can do for your child: be a mentor, be a be, be talk to them, listen to them, help them understand the world. And that, as I'm sure everybody knows, the hardest thing. Is, about parenting, even step parenting, is having to teach your kids that the world outside is not the way it should be and that the reasons why it isn't the way it should be are usually really unfair and stupid and greedy. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just heartbreaking. You're listening to the Professional Left Podcast, professionallab.blogspot.com. Chris, I think one of the arguments that needs to be made, first of all, to your daughter is pick your battles, and we talked about that. Yep. Just you got to pick your battles. And also, uh, one of the things that we liberals are being called upon to do is defend government spending. Yeah. And yeah. I pay my taxes because it pays for your school and it pays for the road that I drive you to school on mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you can go on. It pays for lots of things that we need. It pays for the policemen. It pays for the firemen. Things that are good and that everyone wants us to have. Make that argument to your seven-year-old. Seven-year-olds are so smart. Yeah. Well, and, and a, a, a very a, a more effective approach might be because I think it's it would be foolish to sort of use a nuclear fly swatter on a yeah. problem like this. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, seven year olds understand silly, yeah. and you know that's such a silly argument. Mm-hmm. That's so silly. Why would your friend say something like that? That's really kind of silly. Um, Barack Obama didn't steal anything from anybody. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. the president of the United States. And we respect the president of the United States. Sometimes we disagree with him, but we always talk about the president of the United States respectfully. And uh, so – and and start at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get to know some of the parents in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because it, 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 really, it really started my family off on the wrong foot in at least one town we moved into to learn too late that the families, many of the families around us had already painted a target on our backs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we couldn't ever get out of that hole because they had just reached a conclusion that we were awful alien outsiders who would never be permitted to play in their reindeer games. And we never were. And so it helps to be active and clear and to know these people socially and around the school and don't let them develop a mythology about you and your family in the absence of your actual physical presence. Have a play date, Mm -hmm. invite the kid over, have some pizza, reciprocate. Um, the, the best thing you can be is a good example. Yep. And, uh, I'd start there, I suppose. It is amazing that once someone has a gay friend or a gay son or a liberal friend or a liberal child that uh-huh. all of a sudden this alien sense goes away. Yeah. And one, one by one, block by block, family by family. That's as how nice as you can at, while still standing up for what you know to be the truth. Yep. And, yep. and so be the- prepared to be shunned. I will tell you again, be prepared to be shunned <laughs> because yeah. I've been shunned mm-hmm. and it's a painful experience. But, uh, because and, and this is what I wanted to get into. There are people out there who are just afraid to talk about politics. And yeah. you won't get them engaged in a conversation because they're terrified of conflict. There are and, and those people can be your friend, you know, and you mm-hmm. can talk to them about other things. You can talk to them about PTA, you can talk to them about your garden, you can talk to them about knitting, whatever it is. There are other things you can talk about with those people. Then mm-hmm. there are people who are just liars. Yes. Yeah. And if they're going to lie or spew a Rush Limbaugh or Fox News talking point at you, no matter what you say, no matter how many facts you present, 
There is no conversation to be had. No. And that's that's how I want to uh, sum up this podcast because mm-hmm. uh, I thought this was so fascinating. This is from Wonkette, although other uh-huh. people have covered this story. Um, Intoleration Nation. Study. Liberals also intolerant want everyone to die on Facebook <laughs> by Kirsten Boyd Johnson. And I'm going to read this article to you because it really clearly states the case for those kind of people with whom you cannot have a conversation. Conservatives may be the club of the gay haters, the uterus police, and the militant Islamophobes. But you liberals, you are the club of intolerance. New study proves it. Former press secretary to Laura Bush and (laughs) Investor's Business Daily blowhard, Andrew Malcolm, has the proof. And this is what Andrew Malcolm said. This is a direct quote from him. Mm-hmm. Not exactly shocking news for those exposed to them for years, but the respected Pew Research Center has determined that political liberals are far less tolerant of opposing views than regular Americans. Yeah. Think about that sentence right there. Think about that sentence. Political liberals are far less tolerant of opposing views than regular Americans. Uh-huh. That's what he said. Uh-huh. And Wonkette continues, and if you are not a regular American, (laughs) you are not American at all. So how did Pew Research come to this all-too-predictable conclusion? Mm -hmm. And now we get to the actual survey from the respected Pew Research Council Center. The the non-ironically named Pew Research Council. Yes. According to the survey... All of 16% of liberals have blocked, unfriended, or hid someone who posts something they disagree with on a social networking service. Yes. All right, you got that? Yeah. 16% of liberals have blocked or unfriended. And I guess there has been an uptick in this lately of unfriending people yes. on Facebook because women who populate Facebook with their child and grandchild pictures are all of a sudden posting things about what's happening in Kansas. And, oh, I don't want to talk about politics. I'm just here to look at baby pictures. And they Mm -hmm. get unfriended. And this is what I'm talking about, about shunning. You know, expect to be shunned if you stand up for yourself. So a tiny percentage of the minority of liberals who are on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Have blocked, unfriended, or hit someone. Mm -hmm. While only 8% of conservatives have. Wow, that's great. They're so tolerant. Yeah. Malcolm calculates that this means liberals liberals statistically suck 100% more of the time because it's double, right? Yeah. That's just math. That's just <laughs> science right there. You can't argue with that. That's just science. Yeah. <sighs> and so here here is, you know, this study showing that a higher percentage of self-described liberals block someone than Self-described conservatives, and then the conservative lies about the study. Yeah. So, is it is it parody or is it reality? Yeah. Or, and is no longer possible to. Or as Wonkette asked, why do liberals hate reason debate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and and that is a lovely and this is this is that, what it, I, it's I, it's the bloom on the rose after this and and so. It is. 
Pew Research's conclusion was there are no differences in responses among party partisans or different ideological groups. All were equally likely to say they usually ignore the posts. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> A no. <laughs> B um, th- this is this is the end note I have on our podcast. In that everything I believe this is, I, and I'm, I'm kind of startled about how rapidly this is happening. But everything appears to be moving towards what what I referred to as its ideal Kantian noumenal state, its ideal perfect state, the thing in itself. And the, the Kantian idea that up there in some other universe, there's a perfect chair that represents all chairs and a perfect table that represents all tables that's sufficient unto itself. Mm-hmm. And now that the Republican Party has jettisoned anyone who thinks for themselves and has different opinions and might be termed moderate in favor of completely clamping on in a southern strategy death grip to – Fundamentalist lunatics, bigots, homophobes, gun nuts, basically the scum of society. Um, things have been moving very quickly towards their perfect political state, pure political state. You can now see without any difficulty at all, you don't need special liberal glasses or anything, exactly what the Republican Party stands for and has stood for for generations. You can now see perfectly what a bunch of fucking cowards, centrists are, who hide in the middle and pull their little meet-the-press commemorative blankets over their heads and suck their thumbs and continue to pretend that there's no difference between Sandra Fluke and Rush Limbaugh because they're both angry and they're both partisan and I don't want to fight. And then you can see what a cartoonishly stupid argument this all is. If you're an intelligent person, why you don't want to be bothered with it? Because it's it's the this is where you can't get into a conversation with the gentleman who did his survey. Yeah. Because yeah. on the one hand, we have people who think people like me are traitors and should die. On the other hand, you have people like me who think I'm not a traitor. Well, see, you're in conflict. Ooh, ooh, see, see, both sides are haters. No, I I really just don't want, first of all, I like it when you're completely fucking wrong about things to admit that, and you don't. Secondly, I have all these little scars on my chest from being poked in the chest by conservatives for the last 30 years who have explained to me in condescending terms on hate radio and on television what a bad American I am, an awful person I am, how I want to destroy their country, while their programs were doing exactly, wreaking exactly the havoc they blamed me for wanting. At the end of that long and painful advanced class in culture and politics, it is now painfully clear to me that the only way to save this country is by put is by marching as many conservatives back into the political sewers as is humanly possible. And the only way to do that, as so far as I can see, other than waging an actual shooting war, is to cu- start cutting off their lines of retreat, making them making them take positions that horrify people because that's who they really are, making them say out loud what's always been in their black little hearts. And and, off and making them retreat. attack people who are not uh, alone, who are, right. who are in a group, who have power, who, will who, have, fight back. who are consumers, who are conscious of their power as consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, Rush Limbaugh bullied the wrong bitches. Yep. 
and, and, down, <laughs> and, and he's down, paying a price. And down he goes. And the last and the most important thing, and this is I know I harp on this a lot, but I, I just have to repeat it one more time. The only way to stop because we're never going to convince ditto heads mm-hmm. to stop being meat sticks. That's just who they are. They have gone so far all in with their culturally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. They, there's no way back for them. They're gone. But centrists, there's always the line of retreat of the cowards in the middle who continue to pretend that there's no difference between the two sides is always the same. And I hear it coming out of conservative mouths. I hear it coming out of centrist mouths, but I never hear it coming out of a liberal mouth. Almost never. I've, I can't remember the last time I heard a liberal say, well, both sides do it. The, the, the people who are providing aid and comfort in this war to the bad guys is everyone you know who reflexively answers every argument about politics and culture with saying, well, you know, both sides are equally bad. They're the fucking they're, – they're, they're the enemy, but they're also the soft underbelly yeah. because they're cowards. And they, they will respond to being pushed and pushed and pushed until they cry. And the answer is – to that is no they don't both sides do not call women sluts who just do nothing but testify before congress (laughs) and you will notice and this is where the difference between the personal and the national is really important Mm -hmm. you will notice that the people who traffic in this bullshit the person who i'm avoiding for lent (laughs) yeah yeah tom friedman joe scarborough andrew sullivan all of the people you see in the media who traffic in the same tired, big lie. This is the big lie that makes all the little lies possible. Every single one of them avoids like the plague any venue where anybody will ever call them on their bullshit. They will never, ever let themselves be tricked into being in a free-form situation where somebody like me can actually ask them hard questions about the center that make them look stupid. Because once that happens, once that house of cards go down, Mark McKinnon don't have no job no more. David Greggy don't have no job no more. You have a lot of unemployed, rich, beltway douchebags who their whole shtick is red ants and black ants in a jar. Shake them up and watch them fight. Oh, I have no judgment to make on whether this is true or not. Well, yeah, but if one side's good and one side's bad, one side's right and one side's wrong, and every time you you give 50% of the field, of the table, of the debating, of the venue, of the format, of the microphone to the bad guys, you are lending them credibility by stealing it from the people who are actually right about the issue. And the thing is, the people in the center know that. The the professional media dorks, they just don't care because centrism pays the bill. And to cut off their retreat, make them pay, make make David Gregory and Tom Friedman pay the same political price that Rush Limbaugh is now paying because they are his enablers. Mm -hmm. And and we talked about that between ourselves this week when uh, Lawrence O'Donnell started to talk about uh, Mitt Romney being a liar. Uh-huh. And how the media will not say that, that that's something they just will not say. And you and I both said, why doesn't he ask David Gregory about that? Yeah. Why doesn't he well, we, start we both, in-house? Well, we both emailed him. We both tweeted yeah, him. Hey, tweeted. hey, Lawrence, how about you call out your colleague David Gregory mm-hmm. for doing exactly the thing you said is so Even though we've caught him in a lie. We have caught Mitt Romney in a lie, a lie after a lie after a lie. No right. one says, this is a lie. Uh-huh. And answer that. Why are you lying? And answer the and, question. But let's do an in-house email, yeah. <laughs> Lawrence. Let's not, let's not air our dirty linen in public. Well, wait a minute. Airing <laughs> shit in public is sort of what you do. Yeah. And if one of the bad actors is the guy who's three cubicles down from you, who's making 10 times or 100 times your salary, 
Well, either you stop talking about it or quit referring to it obliquely as some of my colleagues in the media or call them out on it. And I understand that that is probably the last day you'll work for MSNBC. <laughs> I, I do get that. But please don't think that no one notices that when you're calling out the liars in the media, the person who's number one on the on the hack list is the guy who's sitting right next to you. Yep. Yep. And we have to end there. Yep. We're so glad you're listening to us. Thank you. And thank you for your letters. We love hearing from you. We have an email address. It is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. You can also write to us at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. You can listen to our podcast for free at so many places. You can listen at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, at our Facebook page. And I'm Francis Langham on Facebook. I've been writing messages to Sam Brownback on Facebook this morning. So, And I don't sugarcoat it there. Uh, we are on iTunes and through our fabulous app available at the iTunes store. Uh, be aware we're working. Our fabulous, fabulous app developer, Marlene, is working on a iPad app for us, and we will let you know when that's available. Mm-hmm. We're on the amazing Stitcher radio. If you have a non-Apple uh, smartphone, we're there. And we're on Netroots Radio at netrootsradio.blogspot.com, Saturday nights at 6 to 7 Pacific and 9 to 10 Eastern, and we love them too. If you missed any of this information, all of it is at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, our address, our email address, everything. If you write to us at either our P.O. Box or our email address, uh, be aware that we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise. We have several thousand listeners a week. We look to have 1% of you donate to the podcast every week. We didn't make it last week. We hope we'll make it this week. Uh, if your income tax refund has come, if, you're, <laughs> if you went out and bought a coffee this week for yourself, uh, buy one for us. And you can contribute, again, at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, or at our P.O. Box. And we appreciate your contributions so much. We have a beautiful Persian kitty, Shana is our Internet Kitty of the Week, and uh, boy, <laughs> she's cute. I will tell you, she's a, she's a furball. Uh, so we'll have that up at our website. We, every week, we put up a new Internet Kitty of the Week. If you have a picture of your Internet Kitty, feel free to send it to us at our email address. It is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. And this week, Shana will be gracing our homepage and our Facebook page. Welcome, Shana. Thank you, Shana. You're beautiful. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet Kitties want to go to jail with George Clooney, not Rod Blagojevich. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2012. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast.